Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, equipping us to grow into a deeper walk with Christ. Part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 on Vision. As you know, when you take a painkiller for whatever pain needs to be remedied, oftentimes you'll reach for something that is based on codeine. And as of this week, here in Australia, you can't buy codeine products over the counter. So there must be something significant about codeine that we ought to know that authorities are only now just coming to grips with and withdrawing those from the shelves and meaning that you'll need a prescription to get codeine-based painkillers. Let's talk about codeine and just how serious and how significant it is that there are decisions this week that have taken codeine off the shelf. Shane Varco from Dalgano Institute is back with us. Hello, Shane. Welcome back to 2020. Oh, it's good to be back and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Shane, I always like to talk about drug and alcohol issues with you and you're familiar with this process that's happening this week, codeine Mm -hmm. off the shelf. Is this a right decision that authorities have made? Oh, look, absolutely. I think that's the case. Look, uh, the US uh, implemented this probably 20 years ago. It started implementing it um, because of the potential for misuse and that, that hasn't been a real problem in Australia until the last probably five years. Um, it, like, for example, in Australia until recently, um, with this recent change, you could get a, uh, a analgesic uh, product off the shelf, you know, walk into that with up to uh, 13, sorry, between 9 and 12 milligrams of codeine in it. So that's just off the shelf, and that's quite high um, as, as an over-the-counter medicine. But, of course, uh, codeine is being a opium opiate in itself, a, an opiate derivative, it has the potential for misuse and all the attending issues that go with misuse, including uh, addiction, because it is essentially an, opi- an opioid, which is now seen in America um, over 60,000 deaths a year, and over-the-counter opioids uh, account for a great deal of those. So and it seems like, you know, they use the terms like hillbilly heroin is, is a term that was used and coined in America. So in other words, it's, you know, you grab the tablets and you grind them up and you snort them or inject them and whatnot, so... But yeah, basically it's an opiate, uh, opiate product. So response here from authorities to what is actually an opioid epidemic and some nations perhaps a little further along the track than what Australia has. Do you think that even authorities might have been a little slow in acting like this? Look, it is hard to do. In hindsight and with legislation as slow as it is to move, it is a difficult uh to, to, to comment on that with you know, great authority. But I know we've been involved personally with Victoria uh, with uh, shadow ministers who have been contacting us about you know, some of the bills that have been put in play to, to look at the management of uh, and monitoring of opioid traffic through the pharmacy. So, you know, we, we've been aware of it. We think it's a great idea. We think it's... Look, if it's... Is it too late? I don't think it's too late, but it's certainly could have been done earlier. So I don't think it's a matter of, you know, we've, we've shutting the, 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 the gate after the horse has bolted. But we certainly don't have the difficulties that they have in the States and, and some other parts of the world. But we, we could certainly head that way, um, and particularly if the misuse of over-the-counters starts to drive demand for uh, harder-hitting opioid products, including obviously heroin and fentanyl and the, other, and the other products that are very, very nasty. So if we understand codeine, it's an opioid, a pain medication, and what happens is it converts into morphine once it's swallowed. Uh, clearly, that is a behaviour that can become addictive, and addiction is one of the concerns here? 
Well, it is. Uh, well, heroin, they, they do say, depending on who you talk to in the industry, and of course, you know, the pro-drug ad- advocates aren't uh, quick to, to uh, disclose this, but uh, most most medical practitioners and, and chemists will tell you that that heroin or you know, strong opiates are probably the most addictive substance going. Uh, they would argue meth is up there as well, but opioids, what it does um, uh, it, it, with the, the dopamine receptors particularly and the endorphins, it, it can really relay a hold of them very quickly. And uh, depending on the person and, and the brain and brain chemistry and body chemistry, they, that uh, dependence can grow very, very quickly. Now, dependence to addiction is another step, um, and, and medical practice, practitioners would argue that dependency on long-term pain meds like codeine for pain management after surgery or after serious injury, um, that they, they would even argue that dependency is a possibility, but that's something they can manage by weaning patients off their their proper medication in season. But addiction is when you get to the point where you're craving all the time and you you access it even though you don't need it. Like you, you're beyond the pain regimen. So in other words, your body is actually healed, but you just want it because you you need it to, to relax. You need it to sleep. You need it um, because withdrawal starts to happen and that, that withdrawal creates a faux pain, a, a faux um, you know, uh, tension, a faux distress uh, in your body. It's very real to the, to the dependent an addicted person, but it's a, it's a withdrawal symptom. So um, yeah, it, it kind of masks what was there previously. People said, "Oh, I need the codeine to, to deal with my pain." You know, and, well, you, you don't because the pain you had, for example, the accident you had, is now fixed. This is a pain derived from a dependence on the opioid treatment, and we need to get you off that. So yeah, it's a very, very, very real potential for um, for dependency and addiction. Shane, we like to have confidence in the products that we are buying uh, to meet uh, pain needs, uh, whether it's across the counter or whether you're even getting it because there is a prescription. Are there wider issues? Are there things that we don't know that we don't know that maybe you can let us in on? Uh, Wider issues with over-the-counter type products or even those products uh, that are available with prescription that some of these are quite addictive? Well, I think that's What's important, and the what you don't know, you don't know issue, it really is geared to uh, a failure of the, not the failure of any uh, prescriber, but the failure of the person engaging the the product to actually listen. Because no doctor or pharmacist will issue a medicine of any kind, even in even uh, things like Panadol, it's, it's arguably as harmless as paracetamol or ibuprofen. Um, they're, they're products that are considered, you know, low-level um, analgesics. But in fact, all drugs are dangerous. All drugs are dangerous, and they are prescribed for a specific purpose. And that's why the, the TGA exists, the Therapeutic Goods Administration body exists, to vet all medicines and give them a rating as to the use, for example, either prescribed or over-the-counter, or a level of prescription and the warnings that go with it. Uh, you get a, a, now with uh, most chemists, you can't buy more than one packet of ibuprofen at a time over the counter. You can only buy one. And same with a paracetamol tablet. You can only buy one packet because the risks of misusing that um, are high as well. And of course, for example, you you have ten or or fifteen uh, paracetamol tablets that can do some real damage to your kidneys and liver. Uh, and so again, but those warnings are on the packets. You know, warnings: this is a medicine. This is dangerous. I mean, I think you can't have too many warnings on a packet, but obviously the warnings are ramped up with each particular medicine. And, of course, the pharmacists don't and doctors don't 
uh, prescribe on the basis of an expectation of misuse. They expect people to follow their directions. But now we're seeing an increase, and this is a cultural issue, where people are hooking into pain meds, for example, downers, like pain meds are considered downers. So if I'm stressed, take a few pain meds, I can, it, it can slow down my stress. You know, people often take alcohol to do that, but now alcohol and pain meds and alcohol and this. And, and all of a sudden, they're escalating their self-medication and that, that these medicines were never, ever, ever created to do. So the doctors and the pharmacists are doing all they can do to make it very, very clear. So this is the next step and say, well, we're going to pull back behind the counter stuff that has the potential to uh, be uh, addictive far faster and do more damage faster because of the inability or the, the, the plain, not inability, the, the refusal of people to follow the prescriptions that are there. It's always the case, isn't it, that there'll always be need for ongoing education campaigns about how to deal with medications. And as you say, it doesn't matter what warnings are on the packet. If people are going to mix medications, they're going to run into some difficulty along the way. I imagine that uh, listening to the doctor and uh, being one who can be guided by the expert rather than choosing the way that you take the medication is going to alleviate a lot of problems. Oh, correct. You know, the proper use of the medicines is important. For example, even with antibiotics, you know, you know, they, they would argue, the doctor said, look, here's, here's a course of antibiotics, there's 10 tablets, please take them all. Some people take three tablets, they feel better, so they stop taking the rest of them, thinking that they don't need to. But the doctor said, no, you need to finish the course. So even something like antibiotics, which don't really have addictive properties, but a misuse of antibiotics creates other areas of problems. For example, uh, your, your immune system can you know, be challenged or rewired because of misuse of those things as well again the experts the pharmacists and the doctors and the and those prescribing the tablets or dispensing the tablets appropriately will tell you exactly what to do literature comes with anyone's been to the pharmacy recently i went recently for for uh, an issue for a uh, uh, medication that i had for, for uh, from heart for heart issues not the major ones but i got a list of things with it you know what you should and shouldn't do i had to read three documents i had to sign a form and I was like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm well and truly informed. I could turn, turn around and screw that up and throw it in the bin and just do what I wanted to do. But again, all those educative mechanisms are in play, but now they're taking another supply uh, management mechanism by putting things behind the counter and turning, turning these drugs into a... Uh, moving them into a prescriptive place, space makes it a better way to manage it. And you can also track it because with prescriptions you can track who's getting what from where... And, you know, so for example, they've got a, a, an order for a codeine for a pill, a pill regimen for a month, and they come back in, in three or two weeks going, I need a refill. You go, say, well, what's happened to the others? Now, oh, I, I doubled up on my dose. Well, you can't do that. And well, you have to wait to the end of the month before we give you more. Or they, they've dispensed it to their friends, or they've, you know, because in America they found that a lot of um, retirees were upping their medications and selling them uh, to their neighbourhoods. Uh, which was a huge issue. So they were using that as a income supplement um, for their for their well being, well their personal well being, using their prescription drugs to sell. So that was a real issue, uh, particularly in some of the southern states of the US. Shane, is there a reliable source of information? Talking about websites and things, uh, everyone's got access to yes. uh, the internet. Is there a reliable website that can help people to assess? the sort of dangers or implications that might come with the medications that they're taking? 
Well, certainly, look, there's uh, obviously governments um, have, and, and it's Therapeutic Goods Administration website, um, and I can't give you the URL off the top of my head, is always a good one to visit. You look at what medicines are available and how they're used. Even pharmaceutical companies have to be very careful about what they, they sell their product, and they're the ones obviously putting on the market, so they're good to look at as well. Look for a, sort of another independent view. Uh, there's a website that we use. Um, we think it's a valuable one. It's the National Institute of Health website, the in the U.S., it's another website that's useful to go to uh, is uh, the National Institute of Health website, www.drugabuse.com, that uh, looks at all drugs, but obviously over-the-counters as well. So it's a, a site that's uh, independent as well. And Shane, your own work as an educator when it comes to drug and alcohol issues, uh, Dalgano Institute, uh, a big year ahead? Look, yeah, there is. Uh, we, we, we're working with, uh, obviously, different groups and different agencies. We're a wholesaler as well as a retailer, so in that sense we train and mobilise other groups and licence them to, to deploy um, quality alcohol and other drug demand reduction um, education. So it's needed more and more. And so we're, we've got a bit going on. We're training people, uh, delivering in schools and in community groups and recently delivered to a group of politicians uh, on one of, one of our areas that we're involved with. So, again, we're... We're uh, we're here to uh, again advise and equip and and really engage particularly audiences like parents and young people uh, in the non-web based propaganda based education mechanism because you as you said before Neil everybody's online getting their so-called data from the so-called experts um, and so you know we 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 always spelunking. Uh, the the evidence based data out there about what these drugs actually do do short and long term and what is needed culturally and personally to to delay and and avoid ultimately uptake of some drugs. Yeah. Well, Shane, always valuable getting your insights. I'll mention two websites. You mentioned one that you are recommending for people to get to detail about the medications they might be taking now, drugabuse.com. It's an American website, a trustworthy one. You'll get good detail there about the drugs that you might be taking. And, of course, dalganoinstitute.org.au. Shane Varco leads the Dalgano Institute, uh, all about education on drugs and alcohol. Shane, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. My pleasure, as always, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.